Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Digital Voices, I'm so excited to have Sarah Richardson with us today. So Sarah is just one of the most amazing leaders that I know. And you'll understand why as we get into it, if you don't know her already. And so we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and really touch on a a wide variety of different things related to leadership and some of her areas of passion. And, you know, some of that includes mentoring and especially mentoring the next generation of leaders and and also women in leadership. And so, Sydney, my DJ producer extraordinaire, Sydney, do you you have a mentor? Have you had mentors in the past? What do you what do you think about mentoring? Yes, um, I love that question. Ed. I actually when I just joined Tech Mahindra, I was appointed a mentor when we first got here, me and the other account executives which I really, I really liked that about this program. Um, and my mentor was Rob Fitzpatrick and he is pretty much the sole reason I am at all successful at this job because he was such a good mentor to me and he made it very easy and comfortable to ask him any questions. And I never felt like I was asking anything wrong. Um, and I just really appreciated that. I think that's a really important quality in a mentor. Yeah, very cool. So you'll hear from someone now with Sarah, who who mentors many people, both formally and, and informally. So we want to bring in Sarah. Sarah, thank you for being part of our podcast. Absolutely. This is fun. You and I get to cross channels a lot, but I don't think we've been able to do a podcast together I, before. I know. I was so honored. A few weeks ago, we were in Chime in San Diego, and they were doing sort of like this uh, live interview sarah was interviewing me just talking about one of the one of the sessions that we had done and uh sarah was so natural it made it really easy and it was really good and a lot of fun so i'm really looking forward to this time sarah one of the most important questions however is what is your favorite music oh my gosh uh i'm a ridiculous jimmy buffett fan (laughs) i'll just throw that out there i think anybody who knows me knows i've followed him all over the country. I had intended to see him in Paris for the last two years and the show got canceled twice. So it's still on my bucket list. Oh, that's cool. Uh, what's your favorite uh, Jimmy song? One Particular Harbor is my favorite Jimmy Buffett song. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. great. Of course, he's got the iconic uh, Margaritaville. And uh, I think you could play that song anywhere in the world and people will, will, will know it. It's cool. The other thing that people want to know is what is your pa- passion in life or 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 maybe life uh mantra or you know something that's your message yes it's an interesting question because i was raised in a very much a philanthropic family where you pay it forward you always do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and you're always nice because it's not hard to be nice It's not hard to be honest and do all those things together. So I would say that collectively my passion, especially based on where I am now in my career, is making sure that other people have a voice, that they are heard, that they have a chance to progress and use all of their best talents and best skills to do something that they love. Whether they're changing the world they live in at work, whether they're doing something 
that they pursue outside of work and work gives them the means to be able to do that. Regardless, it's important for people to have perspective of the understanding to love what you do. And that may not be able to do everything you love all at the same time, but every time you create those channels of opportunity for something that's bigger than you, then it's rarely a wrong path to be on. No, that's great. And already, so listeners understand why Sarah's our guest, because uh, there, there's a lot of wisdom that, that you have, Sarah, that you're imparting to us. I, and I love what you said about the way you were raised and your your parents and, you know, that it's easy to be nice. I, I never thought mm-hmm. about that until you said it. And it's like, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of negative energy to be negative, to be unkind. So why not just be nice? Yeah. Yes. And I remember it was so funny because my, my mom used to always say, like, you never know what someone's going through. You never appreciate their perspective until, you know, they're going to say walk in their shoes or simply just ask them. And so that, that genuine level of curiosity. And I was a kid, it used to be embarrassing. Like my mom would strike up a conversation with just about anybody, anywhere. And I'd be like, mom. And she'd be like, hey, they might have a story to yeah. tell. And if they were interested in, she says, most of the time, it's important just to listen to what people have to say yeah. and, and appreciate what their perspectives are. Because they got where they were somehow in whatever scenario that is. And so it is easy to be nice. It's also easy to be strong. So you'll hear me say time and again that don't mistake kindness for weakness. Just because you can be kind or nice to people doesn't mean you can't make tough decisions and you can't be very much business-minded, business-focused, yeah. and, and make the calls that need to be made. The thing is, you do it with a level of empathy and perspective for the other person's coming. Because guess what? Most of us have been fired. Most of us have gone through a downsize or a layoff or a merger or an acquisition or a divestiture where we didn't land on top of that scenario, a mixture of all of it. But until some of those things happen, you don't realize what they feel like. Yeah. And so I feel, I personally believe that when you take the time to learn something, even if you haven't been through it, at least you'll do a better job conveying that messaging or that perspective for that other person that's being the most affected. Love it. All right. I can't wait to get into to, to some of the questions. But before we go there, because it, it really helps demonstrate sort of how you've become the leader that you've become, the person you become, is sort of tell us your story. We heard a little bit about your story already, but you can go back as far as you want, personal, professional, and just like, who is Sarah Richardson? Yeah, and what a what an interesting question because so often we're defined by something in our lives. And my husband, he's phenomenal. He's you know, his life coach. He's a clinical hypnotherapist. He's an author. He teaches. He coaches. He's studying to become a shaman. And he's just like this wonderful human who takes long, complex you know conversations and boils them down. And one of his favorite things to say is that we are the stories we tell about ourselves. Oh. And what's really fascinating, and this is especially true of women, is we tend to focus on the, on the bad things that have happened in our lives and the things that maybe make us less confident, less capable, less belief in the fact that if we don't know how to do 100% of a job that's in front of us, we're somehow not positioned in the right role. And I think I've always been confident. That was never really the issue. It was maybe in some cases when I was little or younger being too confident because you just rush right into something and smack yourself up against a brick wall. And you're like, oh, maybe if I planned that a little better, I wouldn't have necessarily made the same mistakes because you get excited about something and then you don't actually research it before you jump in or say yes, which in some cases served me fantastically well in my early career. 
I literally would say yes to opportunities that popped up and didn't really weigh them against whether or not it was the right decision or not. I was fortunate enough to be uh, a degree. I majored in hospitality administration in college. I was in Las Vegas to do that. I worked in the casino business. I had fantastic bosses. So saying yes to the next job down the street was a good decision. That was super smart because, you know, all these big resorts are opening and your bosses are getting promoted and you're following them. So that part actually worked out well. That was lucky versus smart. Good positioning because in the 90s, Vegas was at the explosion at the center of really the entertainment being more than just the gambling and the shows, really almost the familial aspect. And then some of the consolidations started. So always doing something that I knew that I'd love to do has been helpful. What was interesting about getting into healthcare was that I had worked for a startup airline, actually been recruited away from the casinos. They'd opened an airline, went to go work at the airline. Airline goes bankrupt. I need a job. I'm in grad school at the same time. And somebody in my study group was friends with the CIO at the county hospital. And I was like, that sounds like a good job. That sounds legitimate. Like the hospital scene, it was a indigent trauma one, uh, not-for-profit county endeavor with the medical school. I mean, it was just like, like anything, if you're going to start, just go into the most complex environment you could ever imagine. So I started my career at the MGM Grand Hotel, largest hotel casino in the world at the time. So to me, scale was, that's what it's supposed to be like. Then I go to like the craziest, you know, way you could probably ever deliver healthcare in that kind of setting. And I was there for five years. So I learned all about the different aspects of that type of environment. Um, and then I moved around just from for-profit, for not-for-profit to for-profit, uh, went to HCA, which I loved. I was there almost 10 years, four jobs, three states. And then I said, hey, I want to move to Florida. So I went to another company to do that. And then at the end of the day, uh, realized that California's home. I wanted to come back. Uh, convinced my husband that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we came back and I worked for a company that got acquired two times before I now landed at Tivity. I think the sort of purpose behind all of those things is that you go after the thing you know you, you want next or you believe is next. And sometimes you make really smart decisions in investigating that. And sometimes you don't make the smartest decisions in investigating that. But in the end, it works out because you constantly are gaining a sense of yourself and what is important to how you're going to spend your time. Because what I will share with you is I had a really wise mentor back to the beginning of the conversation who said, in the end, it's about time. We all have the same amount of it in a day. We have no idea how much it we have in a lifetime. And he said, at some point in your life, you'll get to realize that things that you did when you were young, the only thing you may have regretted about them is the time that you spent before you made the right next decision. That was really powerful. And that probably became most aware to me in 2016 when I made a, a relatively large career change decision to move from Florida back to California. And it taught me that you are not defined by who you are at work. You are defined by who you are as a human and the work is an outlet for that. The fact that it took me till I was about 42 years old to truly figure that out um, was honestly a life changing point in my career in my life. Yeah, that that's profound. You've already made a few profound statements and that one, I, I hope all of our listeners uh, get and take to heart. Because, you know, you ask someone, what, what's the question you ask people at cocktail parties and things like that? What do you do? Right. And we're quick to say, I'm the chief information officer or so-and-so or something about our career. But that's not who you are, you know. And, and uh, mm-hmm. so that's a really good point, Sarah. And, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people's identity is wrapped into their job title. 
And uh, as a result, you know, it leads to a fair amount of, uh, yeah, you won't achieve all the things that you really wanted to in life as a person if, if your identity is wrapped up in yeah. work. So tell us, so yeah, your career is super interesting. We could spend a long, long time unpacking some of that because I'm a big believer in having diverse experience and you're clearly, you know, you came in with all this other experience from other industries and you, you've, you've disrupted it. You became a quick leader. That's what I always watch when people come from into healthcare from outside of healthcare. You know, a lot of times we're like, Oh, you don't hire that person because they don't have healthcare experience. That's actually the person you want to hire. And, and, and so people like you that come in, you immediately rise to the top um, because you have this, Right experience. That's me talking. It's not supposed to be about me. Do you agree with that, uh, Sarah? Um, you know, do you, do you see the same thing? Do you encourage people to, are, are you afraid to hire non-healthcare people from outside of healthcare? No. And I love this topic because just this morning I was having coffee with one of my friends who is a CIO at a major financial institution who would love to do something different and has been told by myriad recruiters that her experience isn't relevant to do anything but finance after 20 years in the industry. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, but guess what? About three years ago, I was like, you know, I've got this degree in hospitality. This is pre COVID. So thinking it was still an infallible trade. I'm like, I would love to get back into the hospitality business at this point. And I started to sniff around quite honestly, I was told my experience was no longer relevant. My degree, my seven years in the business, dealing with everything we've ever dealt with in healthcare, which has got to be one of the most complex environments there is to navigate and literally being told that the only area that I might be relevant could be academia, but definitely not anything else that, you know, just talking to this recruiter at the time. And I thought, you'd be kidding me. So I couldn't change that for me, but I could hire people outside of healthcare onto my team. And so absolutely, I've got a a vice president of uh, information technology and operations who essentially comes from retail. Uh, I've got um, a new director coming on board who's coming from manufacturing because infrastructure, I'll, I'll probably get some call outs. To me, infrastructure is infrastructure. It can be very complex and very hard to do. You have to hire the right people to do it right. But guess what? It's still infrastructure. You still need disaster recovery. You still need business continuity. You still need to be able to bring things up in the right environments. You still need to have a multi-cloud hybrid environment strategy. Like it's it's all there. And what I've done more than anything is spread myself into organizations that are more than just healthcare associations. So I'm the vice chair for the Society for Information Management, the SoCal chapter. I'll be chair next year because most of my contacts, hence my conversation this morning from with a financier, is they're not healthcare people, but guess what? We're all solving the same problem. Right. In fact, I need a tool for something in my environment. So I asked my guys who, or I should say my guys, my group that yeah. I hang out with, because they're still mostly men, <laughs> who do you use for this? All three of them told me the same person, introduced me to that, to that vendor partner, and now that's who I'm gonna use for the same solution. Totally different industries, four different industries, oil and gas, yeah. healthcare for me, manufacturing for one, and another one is in uh, like textiles, but we all have the same challenge we're trying to solve. So I feel like if you get a chance to know people or meet them, then, and at this point in our career, Ed, we can pick up a phone and usually find the right candidate yeah. because we've taken the time to get to know our peers so yeah. well. 
I rarely have to actually go out for blind recruitment for leadership roles because I can literally pick up the phone or the favorite thing I said the other day, I can dive into my Rolodex. And one of the people on my team who's in their 20s was like, what's that? And I was like, never mind. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. They know what a Rolodex was. I'm like, yep. It's kind of like when I go to tape something, you know, we don't actually tape things anymore. We just record them that's on the DVR, I guess. No, that's, that's awesome. And, that, and again, just reinforcing the point you're making is even if you don't have that diverse background, you do you can hire it in. And even if you don't, you should be hanging out with people in other industries. Sim's a great uh, venue for that, that you're doing. So as opposed to being always in the same, around the same people in the healthcare, which is good because you I love mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters in healthcare, but man, if that's all I had, I'd mm-hmm. be in big trouble. So very good points. This is awesome. So tell us a little bit, I, I really want to get to concierge leadership, but before we get there, Talk to us about Tivity Health because you made another pivot in your career, right? Because uh, Tivity Health is a little bit different than than your traditional health system or hospital. It is, and I love it so much. And Tivity is really, I mean, primarily when you think about it, is you think of the brand of Silver Sneakers. And we're the leading provider of health improvement solutions with Silver Sneakers, which has 18 million eligible members. And so if you're a senior Medicare Advantage member who has the silver sneakers benefit through your plan, you have access to us. And we've historically been a gym access company, but if you've seen recent press releases, we now have a relationship with Stitch, which is like a social engagement platform for seniors and with Get Setup, which is mental enrichment and online classes. And based again on the access that your plan grants you, those are two more pathways starting in 22 that we have to address our seniors and be part of the solution for them. And it's just fantastic. So it's all these healthy aging options outside of just basic fitness that bring the whole person to the table for seniors. Um, And we have other products. We have Prime, which is for gym access for people like you and I, which has a ton of both in-person and digital content, which is really fantastic to be able to access that core of Silver Sneakers being the senior population. So here I have an opportunity. I bring hospitality. I bring healthcare and I bring fitness. And so I'm not quite, never I'm going to be as fit as you, by the way. I, I do stay in really good shape, but I don't think any team USA is ever going to want me on it other than the cheering section. But I'm very much into fitness because guess what? If you're healthy and you're fit, in theory, you live a longer, healthier, happier life independently. That's a lot about what Tivity stands for, which is why I was drawn to them. And I love it because... No, I don't have a typical EMR that is the center of really a lot of the things that we need to focus on. But guess what? Creating the right engagement platforms, the right opportunities to bring people into your environment and still have the right connectivity for the right features of their life that they need to craft independently. That is, in some cases, uh, just as hard because a lot of those things are not just an off-the-shelf option that you have. You have to integrate so many different points and so many different providers to be able to create that ecosystem for a senior, and you want to do it in a way that is as frictionless for them as possible. That's what we're doing at Tivity Health. And that's awesome. And yeah, you're, it's almost like it's tailor-made given your background. So that's pretty cool. I know that you also have something that you do around concierge leadership. Can you share a little bit about <laughs> what that is and, and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. And I love when people ask about it because I get that, that funny look like, well, how do you work full time as a as a CIO and, and then also have a coaching business? And I said, well, it's called nights and weekends. <laughs> it's yeah. is, is a choice for me to do it. And I will tell you, and this is a lot about the empowerment uh, of, of self is that 
I founded Concierge Leadership formally um, after I had a hiccup. I would, I was, I would say, uh, on my career, where that moment in time, where what if you need an alternate revenue stream? What if you need another way to be able to pay your bills in between opportunities? So what it afforded me literally is a way to never be worried about how I would pay my mortgage or pay some of my bills. And the, one of the biggest things I learned from that and what I share with others and most, and most of my clients are female is financial independence allows you to make very different decisions in your life. Yeah. When you don't have to be worried about making the right choice at work because the right choice may not be the popular choice. And if you work in a culture or environment that doesn't support that, you could lose your job because of it. That's not uncommon for a lot of people and it's unfortunate, but it's true. So I had an absolute passion and love for coaching. I've been doing it my whole career anyway. I got formally trained and educated through the ICF, International Coaching Federation. So I did all my mentoring and all my hours and all my uh, different components that are required to be able to do that. And all of a sudden people were calling me and saying, can you coach me privately? And I said, yeah, of course I can, <laughs> yes. And uh, therefore, I now have an actually a thriving coaching practice. I work with a couple of partners because if you want a full day workshop or you want more time than I have to give, I actually contract with a couple of other coaches to absorb some of that work because I can only handle so many people uh, at one time because it, it literally is nights and weekends, uh, which works out well. But that's also, depending on your lifestyle, that's a negotiation with my husband and how we spend our time together because if you pick up all your nights and weekends and you work all day, then all of a sudden, where's time for yourself and your family? There's a very fine and delicate balance between a growing business, your day job, and anything else you want to accomplish in your in your personal life, too. Yeah. And, you know, what I always say as well, because I do something similar, but, you know, I, I write some books on the side and it takes up, you know, yeah. uh, outside hours. And I always just, you know, remind um, those that I work with and as well, because I encourage similar actions by others that I might serve with. And that is that it actually makes you a better employee as well. Cause you're learning all these other things. When you coach people, I'm sure you're learning a lot as well. And, and you take that back to the workplace and it just makes for a stronger uh, leader. So that's pretty cool. Though. Yeah. And I always tell my company, like, don't spend money on executive coaching. Like you got me, right. like not everybody's, and you can't always work with everybody on your own team, but for the most part, my entire staff has a built-in executive coach, like formally trained. Yes. And so I feel like we perform at a higher level uh, just from some of the learnings I get to bring forward. And I have hired and uh, inherited literally the best talent I have ever had in my lifetime. I cannot wait for what the next couple of years activity unfold as because of my team. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So I have so many questions. We'll probably have Sarah back at some point. So we still have time, but I'm like just looking at all the questions I want to ask you and all the things that you say spawn spawn more, more things. But I, I want to go to, you know, I know one of your passions is around leadership, obviously, and helping uh, women in leadership. And so this, this always is fascinating to me. You know, I'm married to a very powerful, strong woman leader. And so, and I hear her stories and of course from sisters and things like that. And what, what counsel would you give male leaders on how to, you know, any blind spots that we might have because we don't know. I, I don't know, even though I'm married to a wonderful leader, strong person. I, I don't know because I'm not a female myself. But would you, what would, sort of counsel might you give 
male leaders to to make sure that there's equity in the workplace, that there's opportunity for everyone to rise and receive the same uh, opportunities? Yes, it's a fantastic question because too often we just put it into a bucket or a shelf. We say, oh, women in technology. And so the women will take care of themselves in this women in technology space. I'm like, there's room for the men to participate too. In fact, I actively invite men to the conversation, A, for perspective, uh, and B, so that we're sharing ideas of how to improve our workplace across the board. So perfect example when you talk about equity is that anytime you come into an organization, do a full comp analysis of your team across the board, men and women, because we all know that if you've been at a place for 10 years, you're getting your maybe 3% cost of living slash merit adjustment annually. And if you get promoted, you might get a 10% raise in that mix, depending on the rules of different organizations. But for the most part, I used to call it the loyalty tax. If you've been in a place for 10 years, how much would it cost to replace yeah. you on the street? A lot more than what you're probably making. Yeah. And so every so often you have to go and say, what is it to replace Ed and Sarah right now off the street? And that's especially crazy right now with a quote unquote great resignation right. and all these different opportunities popping up. It's going through and being like, how much does the A, what is the role? How much is, is it structured at today? Have we done a comp analysis market value for a role today? And then where does my team line up in that? And not just years of experience. How many people are single points of failure? How many people have unique skill sets that you have spread across an organization because whether you're small or you're large, you're going to have individuals who have very unique traits and abilities on your team. If I picked up those niche pieces that nobody else knows how to do very well, and you evaluate it against that. And ideally, you're doing it outside of the typical merit or evaluation schedule, because then it's not, if you can get them all to happen at the same time, hallelujah right. for you. I've never really had it out that way. I try to go quarterly by groups of teams, but you know, I came into the organization and I've done this my entire career is evaluate where people are. And if there are significant gaps, figure out ways to close them yeah. so that you're hiring inappropriately. But nobody who's there feels like they don't matter. Their contributions don't matter because they do find out how much people are making. And so you carry that torch forward. You make sure people are getting paid appropriately for the work that they're doing, period. So I'd start on the equity piece. But otherwise, it's hard for people to have one-on-ones or have conversations and not have them sometimes be awkward, especially over video or a newer role. So I create wellness check-ins or one-on-one -on -one checkpoint sheets with my teams so that if you're not certain how to have a conversation or be like, hey, how are the holidays for you this year? Do you have, are you spending them with your family? Are you, you know, what are your plans? This is the second year in some cases where many people may be, may be alone and alone for reasons greater than just not being able to be around friends and family. Like there's an element of social loneliness and isolation that's greater than it's ever been before. That's our job to ask. And if you're not sure how to ask it, there's a whole bunch of questions out there. Google it as an example. But I created a wellness check-in sheet for people to ask the questions of their teams and their one-on-ones and team meetings so that it's not awkward. And then you give them a whole bunch of resources. If a person does need help or does have some questions, there are internal and external resources as an example to help facilitate some of that dialogue or that follow-up. So you build in ways to be aware and empathetic and it takes away some of the awkwardness that others may feel in, in being the one who's doing the outreach. Yeah, those, those are really good suggestions. 
you know, this is Digital Voices. So we try to represent and voice digital thinking and strategy across all of health life sciences, payers, providers, uh, life sciences, and retail, and especially the patient perspective. So let me ask you a question around the chief digital officer. So as you know, that's a newer role. Many CIOs aspire to become chief digital officers. You teach this Chime Bootcamp, one of the best instructors they've ever mm -hmm. had. And you've also do concierge leadership and you've just demonstrated leadership your entire career. So what might be one or two pieces of, of advice that you would give a CIO or an aspiring IT leader who wants to make that jump into chief digital officer? What are one or two things that, that you might say to them? The first thing that always comes to mind when I hear this digital officer, I'm like, when did IT stop becoming digital? Yeah. When have we not always been yeah. digital officers? If, if digital means technology, then by sheer force of nature, we have been digital executives, at least in my case, since 1994. Yeah. When I, when the consumer was the, the forward facing entity of what we did in a, in a, hotel, a casino, and I helped run the technology behind the scenes and enabled that capability. So I've always been a digital native or a digital delivery mechanism in that space. Some places that are huge need to have potentially this chief digital officer to take some of those efforts and be like the key implementer, etc. I do caution any CIO who has a CDO in their organization and they don't either report to them or they are not peers and reporting to the same person. Otherwise, you just run the risk of having completely different, yeah. uh, either strategic or implementation operational schedules that get very messy very soon. But ideally, if you're the CIO, you build that digital capability into the organization and go hire someone who's doing all of your strategy and innovation on your team from a digital perspective that's totally tied in with your business partners. But if you don't have that kind of alignment, that congruency, then um, it could be a recipe for irrelevance or even uh, elimination if you're not careful. Yeah, no, th th that's a fair point. My sort of controversial take on it is that the reason that CEOs went out there looking for CDOs is they weren't getting what they wanted out of many CIOs, not all of them, right? There's very, very fine CIOs out there who are already digital, doing the digital things. Many of them got the title as well. Uh, many might not have the title, but are doing it. Uh, so, so I agree with your premise that that we've always been sort of chief digital officers. But when it came to sort of the the thinking of experience and consumerism, not I don't know that all of our peers were able to make that jump, and so the CEOs sort of went after this these these new titles. And um, so there, there's good and bad that come come with it. Uh, but that's sort of my my take on it. That's why I love what Chime is doing and, and others are doing to try to help CIOs, right? Uh, make sure that they continue with the development of their skills and capabilities, understand consumerism, patient experience, those sort of things, so that they can easily evolve into uh, sort of that different role um, as, as bifurcated by the CEOs. So yeah, the... The, that's a, those are good good things and, and good points that you made. 
We've come to the end, but I don't want to end, Sarah, without giving you the last opportunity to share anything else. We could double down on a topic that we already touched on. Uh, we may not have, uh, we may have missed a question that I was hoping to ask. Um, so I'll leave it to you to sort of uh, end our time together. Well, you know, I'd like to turn the tables. Actually, I'm curious because you speak with so many people in the industry on, on myriad fronts is that with all of the, the disruption that has occurred and the and getting back to, quote unquote, the office or hybrid and great resignation, and the war on talent and all these different components is when you think about the state of healthcare or the health of healthcare, what grade do you believe our industry deserves today and how much of that are we the change agent to affect? So I think we're at like at a C, C as in Charlie. And I really believe, and that's why I love Sarah, your approach with your teams. And if everyone did that, we would get to an A. So, you know, I, I, I have great hope with uh, leadership and, and all the different programs that are being set up and the examples and the mentoring that, that we can help lead the industry in truly transforming, you know, leveraging technology at a more rapid pace. You know, it takes bold leadership, like, you know, you know, and I, and I just think of this one quick example, you know, it's an easy example to pick on, like virtual visits went from 1% to 65% at the height of the pandemic. And, and, and once we started to figure out a little bit more about COVID and have better precautions and we've got vaccinations, that number has now gone to 12% and it's going, it continues to go down. And that troubles me. Because we know consumers, not all of them, but the bulk of them want that virtual experience. They want the consumer experience they're experiencing in different industries. And we're mm -hmm. allowing our organizations to walk it back. So it's up to us as leaders to be just bold and keep pushing forward, pushing forward these new virtual capabilities, these new uh, points of differentiation, this new innovation to help save people's lives. And if we just sit back and just go with the flow. I just think sometimes, you know, we just go with the flow because we don't want to upset the apple cart. We want to, we want to be someplace for 10 years, you know, and not make any waves. And so we just kind of do whatever it is to get along. That's not leadership. And I, I'll, I'll take being fired any day <clears throat> if it means that I've helped sort of push the industry forward and, you know, for patient care and stuff. So that's my thing. Are you, wh what about you? What's your grade? I said C and then we can get to an A. What about you? I would agree that it's a C in terms of how hard we push some of the right solutions because we know it's the right thing to do. And I'm in the boat that you are. I'm never going to be okay with the status quo. The day I wake up and I'm comfortable in my role, yeah. I'm in the wrong role. Yeah. If it's not a little bit hard, you shouldn't be doing it. And if you ever thought that you went into healthcare not to transform it, then what were you thinking? Right. You know, like there's lots of places that don't need to be transformed or constantly brought forward. Um, but that's our responsibility yes. as leaders to be the ones that take, make the tough calls and sometimes take the tough hits. I and mean, you and I are not, this isn't our first rodeo right. in our careers and our lives. And yet I have absolutely no regrets. Yeah. So I'm glad that when you bring really smart people together to do the right thing, it actually continues to have an exponential effect. But the change is hard. The conversation should be tough getting there and you take a couple lumps. My team and I hosted a workshop last week gave ourselves a B minus, but 
The coolest thing about that is all the learnings and the outreach we did to our stakeholders and said, we are giving ourselves this grade This is why, and here's what we're going to do better next time. So instead of people whispering about us this morning, guess what? They're like, oh, did you see what IT did? They actually did a mea culpa for last week's workshop and why it was good and how it could have been better and what they're going to do next time. So when you own it, you only can make it better. Yeah. That's great. We're going to leave it with that. And your your quote earlier about uh, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, Sarah, you're an absolute breath of fresh air. I I love everything about you. I you know we follow one another in our in our personal lives. Uh, someday uh, we'll have to bring our our spouses together and and just uh, go to a Jimmy Buffett concert and drink margaritas or something. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.